0: Well, Julie, I don't know about you, but when things are uh, kind of uneasy in the markets and up is down and down is up and nobody seems to know what go- goes on, it, it seems like a timely a timely call for us to invite Amar Ragante from Wellington Management Company on our podcast.
1: I agree. He always makes uh, such sense of chaos and I think uh, helps financial professionals really sort through all of the noise. And most importantly, I think provides such great talking points for them to provide with their clients. So I'm really excited to share some of his insights with our audience today.
0: It's funny because when you think about how we've transitioned over the past couple of years from everybody always wanting to talk equity markets and the risk in equity markets and the sectors in equity markets, and now we're in just such more of a fixed income interest rate Environment, everybody's wondering what the fate, what the Fed is doing, where they're heading, what they're thinking. um, That I think it's just a great time to have Amar on.
1: It absolutely is. And it it does seem rare that we've spent a half an hour talking about uh, fixed income and the Fed. So uh, the dawn of a new era.
0: So why don't you remind everyone, Julie, who Amar Regate is for those that have not heard him before? um, Tell our audience a little bit about Amar. Absolutely. Amar is the
1: Managing Director at Wellington Management and Fixed Income Strategist for Hartford Funds. As an investment director in investment products and strategies, Amar works closely with investors to help ensure the integrity of their fixed income investment approaches. This includes meeting regularly with fixed income investment teams and overseeing portfolio positioning, performance and risk exposures as well as developing new products and client solutions and managing business issues, such as capacity, fees, and guidelines. He also meets with clients, prospects, and consultants to communicate Wellington Management's investment philosophy, strategy, positioning, and performance.
0: So Julie, let's invite our audience to listen into a recent conversation we have with Amar for his insight on the interest rate cycle, on fixed income, equities, and really what advisors should be thinking about today. Hi, I'm John.
1: And I'm Julie.
0: We're the hosts of the Hartford Fund's Human-Centric Investing Podcast.
1: Every other week, we're talking with inspiring thought leaders to hear their best ideas for how you can transform your relationships with your clients. Let's go. Amor. welcome back to the Human-Centric Investing Podcast. We are so excited to chat with you again today.
2: Oh, thanks for having me back, Julian Joff.
0: Well, Amar, things have certainly been calm in the markets. Obviously, I'm kidding. It's fall. And uh, boy, it just seems since Labor Day, there's been ups, there's been downs. But I think the big question is, Amar, as it pertains to the Fed and their actions regarding interest rates and rises or stability or maybe even cut, what do you think the market is pricing in these days?
2: Yeah, um, you know the market is pricing in uh, a fairly robust U.S. economy, uh, with cuts priced in at the latter half of 2024, and and a small, you know, a a percentage chance of an additional hike uh, uh, at the end of this year. But if you step back and say, what's the market really kind of just sort of more qualitatively describing what it's pricing in? uh, It's pricing in almost what we call a unicorn scenario that of a soft landing, one where uh, economic growth and inflation modulates to a level the Fed is comfortable with, uh, but is not super detractive to uh, what you'd call like long-term like asset prices and growth. Uh, and uh, the market's kind of coming to grips with that type of scenario. And it's a rare one. It's one that we've we've hardly seen in, in modern capital markets. But But that's really been the driver of, of sort of price action over the last few weeks.
1: Amar, it's interesting when we reflect back and think about the last meeting in your mind, what are some of the important data points to think about as we think about the last meeting in your mind?
2: Yeah, um, you, you know, first and foremost, uh, it's uh, it, it really is just a, a world that is hyper-focused on, on seeing and observing real-time data in a, in, a, in a what I would call a deflationary environment, where one where inflation is slowing, uh, the market and market participants have comfort in that, and that's reflected back in Fed communications. Uh, right now, you know what was so key about that last Fed meeting was not that uh, talk of a hike uh, either this year or or a hike that was executed. It was far more that the guidance the Fed gave was one of higher for longer. And why that was so important, uh, uh, that type of guidance, uh, was because it said the Fed will struggle to try to, you know, avoid, you know, it it anticipates having to struggle to cut rates, right? It's likely that the longer term the Fed policy rate is, is going to remain elevated prior to history. Uh, and the market, you know, fixed income markets particularly reacted to that. So just, you know, as context, when I look at, the yield to worse, you know, of sort of the key indexes that bond markets utilize. Like as of this morning, you know, one of the highest quality indexes, the the Bloomberg Aggregate Index, uh, was giving a yield to worse number of five point six percent. Emerging markets debt, uh, you know, it, by that same provider was giving us over an eight uh, percent type of number. Global high yield was over nine percent. So the market repriced rates substantially higher. And different parts of the fixed income market are reflecting, you know, mid to high single digit uh, yields worse, which is, you know, the most commonly used metric by by fixed income practitioners when they think about yield in in, in these markets.
0: So, Mark, it's interesting if I go back to your comment a minute ago about a kind of a unicorn landing, if you will, sometimes listening to market talk is like reading a, a Dr. Doolittle book, right? We, we like unicorns. We don't like black swans. Um, but. A question about that unicorn landing. If you think that's what the market's pricing in, what's the risk of not seeing the unicorn landing?
2: Oh, the risk is substantial, John. Uh, the first thing that's important to note is is that there's usually market chatter about soft landings uh, at the late stage of almost every Fed rate hiking cycle in the last, you know, 20 years. You'll you can dig through you know press clippings of the time. And statements by policymakers and market participants uh, of how they anticipate a soft landing or a gentle landing or only a speed bump into growth, uh, and obviously, as as all of us know, as as seasoned market watchers and professionals, uh, though you know that thesis didn't didn't play out. So you you have to keep in mind there's a very significant chance, uh, and at least history tells us this that a soft landing is is unlikely, uh, and indeed maybe not even tolerated by the Fed. Uh, because from the Federal Reserve's perspective, one of the things they do need to see, like substantially looser, to give them comfort, is the labor market. And if you know labor market conditions loosen and unemployment rates uh, go up, uh, you know that usually happens in conjunction uh, with a recessionary outcome. Uh, and there's a variety of reasons for that, but you can very easily imagine a robust consumer losing confidence, pulling back, beginning to save versus spend. And the knock-on effects of, of all of those things. So when we look at you know broad chunks of capital markets, um, you know, the, the you know it's it's hard to make one blanket statement about all markets, but generally speaking, uh, it's not pricing in what I would call like recessionary conditions. Okay. Uh, and recessionary conditions would mean downward pressure uh, on prices in what would I call risk assets. Um. And generally, it would mean, you know, uh, a downward pressure on interest rates as a flight to quality dynamic took hold. That right now is, is, you know, markets are uh, ignoring. And uh, it, it's, it's very interesting because even as data comes in, uh, if the market's really focusing on good parts uh, of data, which is like the JOLTS uh, data set that came out that showed a high degree of job openings, it tends to be focusing a lot less on actually what I'll call critical pieces of information the Fed's utilizing, like cooling inflation, which is actually happening right now. So you're talking
1: about some good pieces of data. Maybe we'll shift gears a little bit and talk about maybe some of the disappointing pieces of data from your perspective as you're thinking about kind of this year and reflecting on on, you know, as you've been analyzing that from your perspective, what are, what are some of those uh, data points, yeah. Amara, that, that you've been thinking about?
2: So um, it's, you know, we're in that stage of the cycle now where good news is effectively bad news. Uh, and and that's hard to get people's head around. But it, it's not so hard to think about it in that the goal of policymakers right now is to have some type of demand management going on, right? And, and that demand management really... The focus it should be on uh, trying to effectively slow the economy and cool inflation. That's taken a lot longer than almost anyone, including the Federal Reserve, uh, expected. So, for market participants, for people who are investors, for clients, uh, the, there's been a really you know powerful lesson about patience this year, uh, and it's hard to absorb. And the reason is is that in prior cycles, which all of us as human beings kind of benchmark, you know, your mind to, you know, when you have this rapid uh, set of tightening conditions and interest rates going up by this much, we expect or think a recession is right around the corner. Uh, There's still, and our base case is that there is a recession, but the cycle is drawn out a lot longer than we're used to. And there's really important reasons uh, on why it's being more drawn out. In every prior cycle that, you know, the Fed started hiking, what you saw was almost, obviously, now in hindsight, what I'd call obvious indicators of uh, over leverage or excesses in the system. Because of the amount of fiscal spending and aid uh, that went out during COVID and immediately after, the U.S. consumer kind of came into this in really, really good shape. Uh, And they'd spent the last decade delevering. And corporate treasurers had almost built a moat by making sure they didn't have a ton of maturity or debt coming due within the next year or two. In fact, much of that's been pushed out pretty substantially. So what you find is an economy that was in a lot better shape relative to prior cycles. And because of that, it takes that much more effort for the Fed to, to slow things down. And that's incredibly frustrating for people who've you know moved into a bit more defensive positioning, uh, have allocated, uh, you know, uh, significant amounts to fixed income and are looking to allocate more, because what they're looking now is not just that income, which is healthy, but they're looking for that total return, right? Where rates go down and their bond prices go up substantially, and that is just been pushed out uh, longer than than you know anyone kind of expected who was thinking about prior cycles. And I know that was a lot, but I think it, it's kind of it kind of gives you a more you know ho- you know holistic picture.
0: So, more. how much longer can the U.S. consumer hold out? I mean, we we look at rising, you know, credit balances. Uh, let's yep. throw in a couple of recent headlines for good news. We've got a, uh, let's see, we're going to have to start repaying student loans. Uh, the UAW is striking here, there, and everywhere. And now our government can't seem to figure itself out. So, you know, uh, how, how long can the consumer hold out? Do you see any weakness there in consumer spending?
2: Yeah, we, we are seeing some weakness. What we're seeing is what you, we we characterize as a slow burn, right? Uh, versus sort of like a, a shock or a cliff. Uh, and and you're right. You know, you are seeing uh, you know a, a uptick in weakness in things like credit card data, but that's specifically impacting some cohorts, right? Uh, spec- uh, it, it, it's tend to it's really kind of focusing on cohorts that have struggled economically or maybe in in the younger demographic. Uh, as things like student loans and other things really kind of kick off as, and like higher consumer borrowing rates. Uh, But if you remember, uh, you know, the consumer has an incredible amount of net wealth. Uh, You can't just think about this in terms of cash savings uh, or cash on hand. Uh, They've had significant appreciation in their equity market holdings. Their housing is worth, you know, a lot more, even if we've seen some modest weakness in that area. So all of this kind of gives you this sort of consumer confidence on. combined with a really tight labor market. So what you need is, you know, weakness in one or more of those areas. Now, you know, you would expect sort of the labor market to soften given how sort of tight it is. As that softens, we do expect consumer behavior to pull back, right? Just because one of the things that drives consumer uh, behavior is confidence in the next paycheck, in their employment. If that waivers, you, you broadly expect uh, 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 sort of a step back from consumers, and that would ripple out into the broader economy. But but you're right, these other factors are important, John. I, um, you know, student loan repayments, uh, higher borrowing rates on consumer lending, uh, the h- housing affordability, you know, where mortgage rates, you know, three-year mortgage rates now are well above 7%. All of these, like almost like a mosaic, feed in uh, to consumer behavior. It's just that they started from a position of much stronger, uh, of strength this time versus the last
1: I think it would be interesting Amar, to hear your perspective on maybe even just reflecting on how have things changed, even just from one year ago. You know, sometimes I think we step back and we're looking at a you know a, a greater time perspective. <laughs> I think sometimes just even reflecting over one year, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Um. So, so much has changed in in one year. So much has changed in just you know from 21 onwards or even 2020 onwards. I think we've all lived like multiple <laughs> market cycles, uh, you know, since, since the March of 2020. Um, so one is, is that, you know, and I, I, I've said this for a few months here and it still holds, which is we're at that, what I'll call event horizon of, of Fed rate hiking. Uh, you know, one hike, uh, you know, back when I think we last spoke, we had a few more to go, but like you're, you've reached that top part. The biggest move has been made. Uh, and what you're waiting for is the cumulative effect of all of these rates to really uh, start impacting the economy. And, you know, one could argue that the cumulative effect really hasn't kind of kicked in yet. And and why is that? Much of the deflationary pressures that we've seen over the course of the last year and a half and it has, has been related to things like supply chains that got a lot better. And the Fed has nothing to do with that, right? The Fed is really thinking about demand management and what we're waiting to see is to see how all of these cumulative rate hikes start eroding demand by consumers and by businesses. And that's slowly happening. Like we, you know, the economy, you know, will get this sort of frictional drag uh, from from a higher rate environment. Uh, and it will, and and you, when you add on to that, we don't expect a, any additional tailwind from new bills passed through the Congress or so on, or any kind of fiscal stimulus, uh, you know, past what's already been sort of, Uh, gone through the Congress, in part, you know, as John alluded to, because there's effectively right now divided government. So all of these things, you know, let us know that that you can't have an elevated red hot economy sort of forever, that there's going to be a slowing. It's going to happen in inflation. It's going to happen in growth. uh, And the the real question right now is, is that we've become so used to cycles lasting four or five, six months that we expect to turn in a pivot immediately. And this is where we're really counseling patients.
0: So Omar, I would think that uh there's some risk here, right, for the yep. for the cash investor. Because let's face it, they they got paid for being in cash wow. this year versus other markets, arguably. Yes. Now, I do think we have to we have to remember that many of those savings are taxable, that you know, many of those savings are going to be subject to inflation, yet You know, this year, especially, I know talking from our folks in the field, that the desire to sit in cash or CDs, you know, people could look back and say, wow, I'm really glad I did that in January. However, what's the risk in your mind to continuing to kind of carry that attitude forward?
2: Yeah, it's, you know, I think the real risk is that those cash rates are not going to last forever. Um, And even what I'll call very conservative forward you know, pricing and markets has cash rates substantially lower in in 2024. Um, now, the but but that aside, you know, the cash rate somewhat evaporating. Okay, you know that it's not as good as it was. It's the failure to lock you know lock in longer term rates. I think which is going to be you know problematic uh, for for investors. Uh, and why is that? I mean, I mean, there, there's the obvious thing of oh, I'd like to capture you know higher rates for a longer. Uh, in in the most efficient way possible, and 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 extending into fixed income from cash is one way to do that. The other uh, is is that uh, it cash doesn't provide you any type of total return, like you know upside, uh, if the economy goes sideways or the cumulative effects of tightening hit the economy a lot faster than than modeling suggests. Um, and it, it it you know cash rates will go down, the net asset value will sort of remain stable. And it will be an equity beta-driven portfolio. Like that, that's kind of the end result of what you get. So um, it's really kind of critical to start thinking of a disciplined way uh, that a long-term investor should do of thinking about locking in these rates uh, that are out there a little bit further uh, in the curve. And you know, my colleague uh, Nanette, and this is available on the Hartford website. You know, did a really wonderful analysis, kind of looking at uh, fixed income returns. Versus cash returns in prior cycles After the Fed was done with its last hike And you could see over several years Fixed income returns historically Have dramatically outperformed those cash returns So all of that is left on the table Your overall asset allocation Becomes much more equity beta-centric uh, And and sort of subject to the whims of risk markets uh, you're, you're effectively making the decision to think That, you know, recession is so far away That it's unlikely to catch you off guard Which I consider kind of a pernicious form of market market timing. Um, and then there's just the, the sort of the fact that the opportunity cost to add fixed income right now is so remarkably low, you know, given how much rates have even moved just over the last few weeks. And, you know, there's, you know, if you can kind of think about uh, investing in fixed income, it should be far more thinking about it like a compass rather than any type of near-term movement, right? Directionally, you have a sense of where you want to go and what you want to do and what you want to add. Everything in the near term tends to be just a lot of noise, right? Uh, so you can get caught up in that noise. Uh, and instead, you know, you should, what you should do is kind of look at these yield tours and say, there's a chance for me to lock those in longer term. There's a chance for me to make my portfolio a bit more robust. Uh, and and that's, I think, the kind of debate people need to be having when they think about like the bond market right now. Um, so,
1: yeah. Amar, you as we think a little bit more forward looking, what should we be thinking about for the next Fed meeting in your mind? What what are some of the data points that are top of mind for you as you think ahead for that next session?
2: Sure. Um, you know, what we're looking for over, you know, any Fed communications is really usage of the word balanced, right? Where the Fed's saying the outcome for the economy is far more balanced. Uh, and w- why is that important? Because it indicates to, the, uh, you know, to, to Fed watchers, to people who read the communications, market participants, et cetera, that the Fed is thinking about, like, things both from an upside and downside uh, in terms of the broader economy and in its two sort of goals of employment and inflation management. Uh, we, we, you know, that, uh, you know, some Fed speakers have certainly indicated that we're, we're getting closer to what they would call a more balanced set of outcomes. Others have not, so we're we're waiting to see and hear from more. Uh, obviously, there's data between now and the next Fed meeting, and this has become a very data-driven Fed. Which is that you know each it, pa- Powell used a great quote at Jackson Hole, which was, I'm paraphrasing here, that we're being guided sort of by by stars and like and like moonlight, effectively. Which is that he and the Fed has an incomplete picture of exactly where we are in terms of innings in the broader economy. And every, you know, every important bit of data in employment and in growth and inflation gives them a little bit more clarity that that we're on the right right path. But generally speaking, like we've been seeing, you know, uh, cooling of the thing that matters most to them right now, which is inflation. And they've signaled too that they've seen a cooling. They just want additional evidence before they begin what i would call uh, a pause and then the great pivot that takes place. I think it's, Worthwhile to mention, on on you know, uh, for all of us here, that we 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 tend habitually to be as people to be a little U.S. centric, and we we tend to look at what's going on at home. Uh, you know, bond markets are are global uh, and they're interconnected, and it's not just you know slowing growth and inflation in the U.S. We're starting to see slowing growth and inflation abroad. Uh, certainly, slowing growth in in Europe. Uh, and of course, as many of you, you know, know, just China has gone through a, a substantial disappointing set of, of numbers and growth, and their policymakers are, are working to to try to alleviate that, but it's unclear at the rate at which they can do that. So um, you, you're you, while it feels like, you know, we're going through a world of tight labor markets and high growth, actually, when you step back, you know, you're seeing just sort of slowing global growth. And- The U.S. actually has been the bright spot in that, Uh, but that it can't stay that way forever.
0: So, Mar, it's interesting to me hearing, really, throughout the breadth of our discussion today, you're just reinforcing some really fundamental investment principles, right? We don't think about market timing and fixed income, but essentially, if you choose to sit in cash positions, that's what you're doing. Uh, No different than sitting in a parking lot until you decide... That you're going to time the equity market. So I think, you know, discussions around the importance of staying invested are important. And then what you were just talking about, the importance of diversification. And I think it's made doubly difficult when we think about, you know, look over the past decade, the international equity markets have been challenging. So I think sometimes advisors and especially clients are maybe not aware of opportunities that exist really globally, as you just mentioned.
2: And globally and the ripple impacts on how it it impacts U.S. like fixed income as well. Like it's almost two tiered. Right. And, you know, the 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 capital markets are are interconnected. So, uh, you know, whether it's almost I've said this, whether we worry or not about it, like it impacts us Uh, and it certainly impacts like bond markets. Um, So in a way, it's sort of like good practice to understand what is happening abroad, not just. From the opportunity set and in fixed income, but also just from from a risk perspective too. John and Amar, that's exactly where
1: my mind was going. Is for the financial professionals listening today, thinking about the conversations that they're having with clients, and maybe Amar could help them with what would be those three to five talking points or you know phrases that they could take from this podcast today and share it with clients. You know, as they as they end this and turn around and have their next client conversation. Amar, if you were sitting with their clients, say, tomorrow, you you know what would you, what, what's the conversation that you would yeah. be having with their clients and, and helping them kind of have that conversation? I think that would
2: probably be really helpful for our listeners. Yeah, I, I think there's just a, a couple of things that jump out right away at me. Like, one is you can't wait till the recession or slowdown to pivot into that defensive asset class. It, it's, it's generally too late at that point. The, the the rates have moved away from you they're not as attractive as they were before um so it's important to have a disciplined patient process of doing it like now you know like or, or over over some intermediate period of time like there's there has to be a plan and there has to be sort of follow through execution and discipline in in that plan uh the second is is that you're you're not being rewarded uh you know four years ago, five years ago, you know, we were talking about rate markets that were very, very low yielding, very difficult to kind of get that income uh, that a lot of, of clients and investors really want. Now, you know, we're, we're talking uh, on the highest quality fixed income, you know, mid to, mid to high single digits, depending on, you know, what asset the classes you're looking at. So the opportunity cost has gone down dramatically. Uh, and it's in a way uh, just a, a, a a wonderful way uh, via locking in those longer term rates to be, to use as, as an income generating um, uh, asset class. Uh, And then, you know, the third is, is that, uh, and I think this is, you know, I want to actually reiterate this point is, is that, you know, if you're talking about this week or next month or so on, yes, your cash looks attractive, uh, but that will not last forever. And, you know, you have to come up with, uh, a way of still preserving liquidity and safety uh, and, and recession protection, uh, but but doing it in a way where you've actually been able to lock lock in those gains or sorry lock in those rates. Uh, and if you don't do that, you know it kind of just goes back to that that initial point of uh, you're trying to time uh, things out to a degree that's very challenging.
0: Because I think, Mark, correct me if I'm wrong, because as I think about past market cycles. If we were hinging on something like uh, weak, weakness in the unemployment rate for unemployment's going to head up unemployment was typically a lagging indicator right and if we wait for we wait for the fed to make a decision we wait we we may very well have missed uh what sometimes can be substantial initial movements in the markets right
2: yeah and, and also just you know the the nature of of global fixed income markets is that they trade with incredible speed right and uh, once you know a narrative has set in, uh, you're you're going to be sitting and waiting. Maybe I'll get it at a better price. But uh, if it if the the narrative has turned, you're just going to have to kind of bite your you know sort of lip and then like buy at lower yields, which is really what you've been. This whole point of these discussions and exercises is to avoid having people be forced to do that. Right? Uh, uh, they should do it when they have the flexibility. They should do it when they have the opportunity. Uh, they should effectively do it when, when when they actually have tailwinds behind them uh, from a valuation perspective. Um, it, I think it's incredibly hard to do it like perfectly or right on the same, on like on a given day or week.
0: Well, Mar you, talk, you talked about the speed at which global markets, uh, global fixed income markets trade. You should see the incredible speed at which Julie and I now move through what we call our lightning round questions with our guests. So I know you've been through this before Amar, where Julie and I are just gonna ask I'm you ready. economic <laughs> questions, right? Because our audience wants to get to know Amar a little bit. And by the way, we've come up with some new ones for you. So if you're ready, Julie, why don't you kick us off and, and let's get into our lightning route.
1: Perfect. Well let's do it. Okay, Amar, let how about this? What's for dinner tonight?
2: Salmon. Uh there is salmon defrosting. I uh, love it.
1: As a Seattle girl, I, I can, I can get behind that.
2: <laughs> it's as good as the salmon you used to get, but like, it's, it's, it's <laughs> that's, that's probably right. true.
0: <laughs> Amar, if you could travel anywhere in the world for free, where would you go?
2: Oh, wow. Uh, you know, in the nineties in college, I had a chance to go to, to South Africa uh, and it was an incredible place. Uh, I thought it was stunning. Uh, love to, you know go there again and in part it's just because i travel a decent amount for work but no one's ever routed me through there again so uh i i i would love to actually like uh revisit
1: are you a fan of a paper to-do list or a digital one paper
2: paper definitely a paper to-do list
0: would you rather watch a movie or binge a tv show
2: binge a tv show
0: and, it, it, and it, it feels like eating pieces on.
2: of candy in a row.
0: What's the last one that you binged?
2: Uh, so, uh... we No, we're having a revival of 1990s television shows, oh, so we're on season four of Northern Exposure, which I feel like very few people uh, have watched recently, and it's been great. Do you
1: prefer a beach house or a lake house?
2: Lake house. Uh, I, I, you know, we're lucky enough to live in New England and there's beautiful lakes and you can sometimes see right down to the bottom of it. And I think it's wonderful to walk off a dock and and swim when you have the opportunity on vacation. The ocean, ocean can be terrifying, right? Can't see to the bottom, you know, know, and you know, there's, could be unpleasant things. (laughs) Too much risk. Too much from the fixed income guy. (laughs) Unpleasant things. (laughs) Yeah. Are you left-handed or right-handed, Omar? I'm right-handed. Are you messy or neat? I'm messy. Uh, I have a messy desk too. It's uh, uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> so, if you had the choice, would you rather read a book or listen to Audible or listen to an, an audio book?
2: Uh, I'd rather read a book. I feel like when I tr- I've tried to do Audible, I- I've done uh, some, you know. Uh, a number of them. I feel like I, I get distracted and end up doing something else and then I, I miss stuff. So definitely a reading. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, um, so I was really lucky that as a child, I got to go to space camp and uh, I wanted to be an astronaut. This was this was my dream as a kid. It, still working on it, Julie. <laughs> pepsi or coke uh coke what was your favorite i don't know board? why <laughs> i'm right there with you yeah
1: what was your favorite board game as a kid
2: trivial pursuit
1: oh awesome. that's a good yeah. one
0: yeah uh question my last question now forgetting the fact that you give us all this great economic information so your profession aside would you prefer to travel to the past or to the future?
2: Oh, I'm I'm a I'm a history nut, so definitely to the past. Yeah. Yeah. And are you spontaneous or a planner? Spontaneous. Excellent.
1: Well, Amar, we can't thank you enough for joining us today again on the Human Centric Investing Podcast and sharing your insights with us and our listeners today. And For those of you interested in hearing more about Amar's thoughts, you can access his monthly fixed income commentary at HartfordFunds.com slash Amar. Thanks again, Amar, for all of your thoughts and insights today. We really appreciate it.
2: It was great talking to you, Belle. Thank you very much again.
1: Thanks for listening to the Hartford Funds Human Centric Investing Podcast. If you'd like to tune in for more episodes, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on LinkedIn. Twitter, or YouTube.
0: And if you'd like to be a guest and share your best ideas for transforming client relationships, email us at guestbooking at hartfordfunds.com. We'd love to hear from you.
1: Talk to you soon.
0: Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. Fixed income security risks include credit, liquidity, call, duration, and interest rate risk. As interest rates rise, bond prices generally fall. Investments in high-yield junk bonds involve greater risk of price volatility, illiquidity, and default than higher-rated debt securities. Foreign investments may be more volatile and less liquid than U.S. investments and are subject to the risk of current fluctuations in adverse political, economic, and regulatory developments. Diversification does not ensure a profit or protect against a loss in a declining market. The views expressed here are those of the podcast guest. They should not be construed as investment advice. This material and or its contents are current as the time of writing and may not be reproduced or redistributed in a whole or in part for any purpose
2: without the express written consent of Hartford Funds.